Great. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation, and more specifically, talk about healing. This is about our 20th week now on such a great salvation, so we've been in this for about five months now, and we are now in our about second or third month now talking about healing. Uh, and so let me just recap a few things real quick at the beginning. Uh, actually, before I go there, excuse me. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also want to say thank you to those who are partnering with us for their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, and you can get uh, on our give page, go to our give page in the top right corner, highlighted in blue, and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you're in the United States and you would rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and on the bottom of the foot of every page is our mailing address for that. Okay. Um, without further ado, let me jump right into the message. I have a lot to cover this morning, but over the last 20 weeks, we started in the, uh, week one. We talked about the gift of salvation, how it's defined as both uh, in both the Hebrew and the Greek as healing, wholeness, our prosperity, deliverance, etc. It is our faith in His grace, and it's our yeah, it's our faith in His grace by which we're saved. It's not faith alone; it's not grace alone. We talked about how the purpose of the salvation is a relationship with God. Yes, one of the benefits is going to heaven and avoiding hell, but that's those are the benefits. That's not the purpose. That doesn't water that down. That's just not the purpose of it. Okay, and so uh, we talked about the purpose. We've been talking about the necessity of salvation, uh, and then we've been talking about the benefits of salvation. On the benefits of salvation, which we've been into for the last several weeks and couple of months, we talked we talked about four or five weeks about the benefits of salvation, how it relates to wholeness, and then we are now in our eighth or ninth week talking about how the benefits of salvation regarding our healing. And then uh, once I'm done with this segment of it, we'll be going to talk about prosperity for a short spell to, to uh, discuss that and how it relates to salvation. So we're still talking about the benefits of salvation, and more specifically, we're still talking about uh, healing. Uh, last week, I began to discuss different ways to receive healing. There, there are methods. And uh, I, I also shared a website that you can go to for Andrew Wolfbeck's Ministries where you can see many documentaries on people's healings. They're, they're pretty lengthy videos showing you uh, how God has delivered them. So I recommend you seeing this. Uh, we're going to put this in the comments later as well. Uh, but we've been talking about different ways to receive healing. This is not all the different ways. Uh, but these are the ones that we highlighted. But I've also been saying over and over again, there's not a wrong way to get healed. Okay? Uh, if you get healed to the doctor, get healed to the doctor. If you get healed to medicine, get healed to the medicine. I'm not going to water that down. I think there's some better ways because some of those doctors and medicines do have side effects at times. Not every time, but sometimes they do. They're practicing. And so, uh, so I'm not against that in and of itself, but we're preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying that's anti-gospel. At the same point in time, uh, I can trust that God will guide the hand of the decision, uh, the wisdom, and whatnot. Uh, whatnot. Uh, but uh, uh, that's not the way I choose. And that doesn't mean I haven't seen a doctor, and doesn't mean I won't see a doctor. It just means that's not what I'm teaching here. I'm teaching what how salvation includes our healing. And you can receive healing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so all methods, so to receive healing, have a measure of faith. Even if you're trusting God to guide the doctor. It's a measure of faith in God, not the doctor. 
That makes sense? Okay. The key element we have to, it, who am I putting faith in? Am I putting faith in the oil? Am I putting faith in the person? Am I putting faith in the pastor? Or am I putting faith in Jesus? That's the big difference. That's, when we put faith in anything else but Jesus, that's when we get into error. That's when we get into religion. That's when we get into uh, cults. That's when we get into other things. Okay, uh, Faith has to be involved to some measure to receive the grace of God. Okay? And so, again, there's no wrong way to get healed. Okay? Uh, when we are all in different stages in our walk and our maturity and the things of God and the Word of God and, 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 and the salvation that we receive. So last, last week I began to introduce six different methods or ways to receive our ways that healing is manifested, ways that healing is ministered to us. Uh, I'll list them again, and then I'm going to recap the first four real briefly, as we discussed last week, and then we're going to talk about the last two. The first one is laying on of hands. Uh, the second one is anointing with oil. Third one is prayer of agreement. Fourth one is the gifts of the Spirit. And the fifth one is faith in God's Word. And then the last sign of warnings. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list that we're covering in the study. Uh, I prefaced it last week by saying, people will still ask me, is it God's will to heal? We've been covering that over the last 20 weeks. But healing is who God is. God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Okay? So healing is God, who God is. When God shows up, sickness bows. When God shows up, demons flee. When God shows up, peace comes and torment, torment leaves. Okay? Healing is who God is. So there, of course I believe in healing because I believe in God. He's Jehovah Rapha. To say I don't believe in healing is saying I don't believe in God. Because that's who, that's who God is. Okay? God's not dead. He is alive. Okay? I want to see the goodness of God manifested in your life and in my life as well. We, we prefaced this whole series on healing several weeks ago from 3 John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking the truth. And I want to, part of the truth I want you to see what you walk in is healing. There's other truths that we can talk about and we have talked about we won't talk about. But we're talking about healing in this subject matter. And so I want to relate this verse to that. Okay? I want you to receive your healing. Whatever you're praying for, believing God for, I want you to be able to receive it. But we're talking about healing in this study. Okay? So six methods to receive your healing as we're discussed. So let me recap the first four that we discussed last week. I'm not going to go in detail with these. Uh, some more than others, but then we're going to get the last two. Okay? Laying out of hands. We discussed last week. There's something to touch in Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. I gave you several scriptures last week. I'm not going to put them on the screen this week. Where Jesus touched people. Or they, or they touched Jesus. Okay? Either or. Uh, and there was something to that. I also talk about, I like how we are the body of Christ. Just like Jesus, when he walked off the earth, had a body. And he was the body of himself. He was the body of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And I'm going to go back into that in just a moment. This is not um, what I'm teaching. I'm laying on the hands. This goes also with the oil or anything else we're talking about. This is not magical or mystical, okay, in an ungodly way. We're not teaching witchcraft here. We're teaching the Bible. We're teaching the gospel, okay? But when people of faith lay hands on people in faith, there is a faith connection with God in which his will can be done. 
And when I say this, when I say when people of faith, whether they put their faith in, the person laying hands on them are, the, are God. That's the difference. And who, who is and the people in faith? Are they having faith in themselves? What are they putting in faith in what God told them to do? God told us to lay hands on the sick. Jesus told us to do that. So I'm putting faith in what Jesus told me to do. I'm not putting faith in my hands and what I'm doing. Does that make sense? It's an act of obedience. It's an act of trusting he told me to do it. I'm trusting him, putting faith in him, and if I lay hands on the sick, they will recover. There's a difference between me trusting me, or me trusting you, and, and uh, versus us trusting God. There's a difference. There's a difference between it working and not working. There's a difference between not being religion and the gospel. There's a difference between not being witchcraft and just being of the Spirit of God. Okay? So, there is a faith connection. Uh, we, we discussed in Mark 8.22 last week how Jesus laid hands on a blind man. And when he first began to see, he saw a man walk around the tree. So, Jesus had to pray for him a second time. And so, in other words, Jesus prayed twice for the blind man. The reason I brought this out last week is because some people have taught, if you pray for someone twice, you are praying in unbelief. And I mentioned last week, I feel very uncomfortable saying that Jesus prayed in unbelief. I believe that Jesus prayed in belief the first time. I believe that he prayed in faith the second time. Okay? So not all healings or all answers to prayer are instant and complete the first time you pray. Sometimes we have to keep praying. So I don't settle. But I also, Jesus didn't settle for the man seeing the man that's walking around a tree. I don't settle for partial healings. I don't stop until we see a complete, full healing. Okay? How, how early? On that takes whatever is going on. And many healings are also progressive. Not all of them. We've seen many in Scripture where they were done immediately, but we've also seen some that were progressive in nature. Not every healing is instant. Okay? In Luke chapter 17, I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but Jesus prayed for ten lepers. And it says, as they went, they were healed. They weren't healed on the spot. They were healed as they went to go do what he told them to go do. Uh, show yourself to the priest. And so, as they went, they were cleansed. And so, some things are done as we just respond to God in faith. Never be discouraged when you are trusting and believing God for anything. We're talking about healing, but we could talk about finances, we could talk about wisdom, direction, provision, uh, whatever it might be. But when you're trusting and believing God, don't get discouraged. The devil will try to, to get you discouraged. Oh, it hasn't happened yet. It's not working. It won't work. It won't work for you. Whatever the reason is. No, I'm trusting God. And I'm not going to be satisfied until I see my God answers prayer. My healing is for today. Healing is mine. It's by covenant. It's through the blood of Jesus. And I'm receiving it. And I'm not, not going to give up until I see the answer. I don't know what's blocking it. I don't know what the hold of it is. But I'm believing God. And even that attitude right there is faith. That makes sense? It's called a, sometimes it's called a fight of faith. But I'm standing in faith. You may not always get your answer instantly. But keep standing on God's word, his promise, believing that you have received the petition that you've asked him. Okay? Luke chapter 4 talks about how, and I gave many examples, this is only one, where people brought people to Jesus. And he lays their hands on them, they were healed. We need to bring people to Jesus. Where's Jesus today? He's on the inside of us. He's in us. We are the body of Christ. 
And we need to pe bring people to Jesus. Where's Jesus? He's everywhere. He's not a present. Yes, he's on the throne of the right hand of God. But he's in us. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so Jesus commissioned the 12, he commissioned the 70, go heal the sick. And it sounds sacrilegious to some people that we can't know how the power to heal. You're right, you don't. But you're not you. You were crucified with Christ. And now Christ is living under us. You are called, you are born again. You are a child of, you died with Christ. And now it's not you who live, but it's Christ who lives on the other side of you. And it's Christ who lives on the side of you who can heal the sick and cast out demons and set the captives free. Okay? And so the anointed one is in you. Okay? Jesus is always the answer to every situation, to every problem, and specifically healing. Laying hands on the sick is something Jesus taught us to do. It says in Mark 16, as you get ready to be ascended, Mark's first <coughs> version of the Great Commission says, They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. When we lay hands on the sick, because Christ is in us, the Spirit of God is in us, we should expect His God's love and His mercy to manifest. There's something to the laying on of hands on the sick that Jesus did, the apostles did, Jesus told us to do. Again, this is not magical or mystical in any godly way. This is our faith and obedience to God and His Word. The name of Jesus is not magic. The devil and demons do, do exist, but all believers in Christ share this hope of victory in Him. Again, this is not magic or mystical, but it's, laid out, it's our faith and obedience to God. Then we talked about the anointing oil last week. And we look at two passages of scripture that we see this in the New Testament. The first one, the most famous one, is in James chapter 5. I'm not going to reread all the text. But we are to go to the elders of the church and let them pray over us. And for sick, if anyone among you is sick, it says, let him go to the elders of the church and pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it goes on to say, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up in and so on. I'm not going to really teach this, so I've been taught last week. But even in Mark chapter 6, this is before the cross. We also see, and they cast out many demons, anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. So anointing with oil was performed before and after the cross. It, it's not something new. It's not just something James just made up. Because it seems most people are taught James is the only one who teaches this. Well, no. Um, Mark taught it. Okay? Mark, and, and if anyone's sick, is to call is call upon the elders of the church. And we spent some time on that. But why do we call upon the elders of the church? Why do we do that? Because that is a part of faith on our part. Faith in the elders? No. Faith in, in what God told us to do. If anyone's sick, he said it. How do we know all scriptures inspired by God? James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a book called James. And he said that we, if anyone's sick, let him call upon the elders of the church. I'm going to put my faith in the Word of God that was inspired by the Holy Spirit through James to go to the elders of the church to pray. Okay? Now the elders, and I spent more time on this last week, but the, are the mature among us. They're not just the pastor. They're not just someone who has a title, elder in the church. It applies to them too. But anyone who's mature in, the, in faith. Because it's not the elders, it's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. That's what James says. The prayer of faith will save the sick, not the elders themselves. Because if the elders are not praying the prayer of faith, their prayers are just going to fall to the ground. 
Okay? The, the oil's not going to do anything for you. Okay? It's a prayer of faith that will save the sick. That's what it says. Okay? The oil is not supernatural. We have to remember that. It's an element. It's a typology of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the elements of communion are not supernatural. In the very same t t token. See, the, the, the communion elements, the, the bread and the, the wine, is, is the power is in remembering what the elements stand for. That's what the oil. we got to remember what it stands for. There's no magic in the oil itself. There's no magic in my hands or your hands themselves. They're the hand of Jesus. Okay? Those who, I spent some time on this last week, I'm not going to go there this week too much, but those who relegate to the realm of superstition do not believe the entire word of God. Why? Because superstition is witchcraft. Okay? That's cultish. And we're not, we're, we're not teaching superstition here. We're teaching against that. The name of Jesus is not magic. The communion elements are not magic. The anointing oil is not magic. The oil is not a charm. We're not teaching witchcraft here. Okay? But uh, through faith in his name, through the prayer of faith, we can see healing where healing comes from. Water baptism itself does not wash away your sins, but there are tangible uh, elements that are symbolic of what they represent. That we were, we died, we were crucified with Christ, we were buried with him in baptism, and we were raised to him in his life. It, I won't water baptize anyone who is not already a believer. It's not the, the, if someone gets baptized to get saved, they're just going to get wet. They're not going to get, it doesn't save you. It's a symbolic, uh, for example, Sherry and I got married. We had a ceremony. The ceremony didn't get us married. It was actually the, the marriage certificate that actually officially got us married with the, with, in a civil way. It's the marriage bed that got us married in, 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 a, in a spiritual way. Okay? And so, uh, anyway, it just I'm not going to go all there, but it's symbolic. Uh, because we're talking about our faith in Christ. We're not talking about faith in water baptism, our faith in the oil, our faith in the elders. Okay? And so we spent a lot of time talking about that last week, which... Talking about the elders is a segue into our third point that we talked about last week, prayer of agreement. Because when you go into the elder, you get a prayer of agreement. Okay? In Matthew 18, 18 through um, uh, 20, it says, Jesus said, Surely I said to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And I say to you that if two of you agree, that's the key word here. That on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For with two or more are gathered in my, together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Spent a lot more time with this last week, but especially this word agree in verse 17. And there is a there's an admission of God's presence that when we experience when we are in agreement. Can we experience God's presence in our prayer closet and alone? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus did. He didn't go to the closet per se, but he did. He did uh, uh, pray on the mountainside. He did pray uh, all night. Okay. Um, but so, do, do we need a personal relationship with God? Yes, we do. We all do. But there's also Jesus said, "Where two or more gather in my name, I'm there in the midst of them." There's there's a dimension of God's presence that you can't feel by yourself. You can only feel when you're coming together. Can you feel God's presence and experience God on your own? Absolutely. And you should. Everyone should. But that is not the only way that Jesus said, we are the church. We are a body. Okay? And so we are a family. 
But we look at this word agree in the Greek, and we also look at it in the English, and this word agree means to be harmonious. In the English, it means a symphony. And we look at the word symphony in the Greek, in the, in the, in just the English translation, <coughs> it means to compose as one, or different talents, or gifts, or abilities coming together in harmony. Okay? Creating this sound that none of us can have independent of each other. Have you ever heard of orchestra? And they have beautiful instruments, many brass instruments, many strings, many, many different things. And in and of themselves, they sound beautiful. But there are certain sounds they cannot make unless they come in a symphony, in a harmony. Even vocally, we have different vocals. I can't recite what those are, but when we, we sing in harmony, it's like it can be a symphony. Okay? And when we do that, together in harmony, it ministers to the hair. Okay? There's some instruments, if they did a solo, it's not going to bring a lot of ministry to me. Like, for example, drums. <laughs> Drum, some people might like a drum solo. Okay? And I, I've heard some people like that. And it can be appropriate in certain set settings, but drums usually sound better when they are in harmony with other instruments. That make sense? This is all an allegory to what we want. We're, we're we're defining the word agree, and it means to be in harmony. It means to be a symphony. So, <coughs> taking all of this definition of symphony, when God's people are in symphony before God power of release. That's why when two or more agree in anything, it will be loose or it will be bound because there's a symphony taking place. That making sense? There's an agreement taking place. Okay? If anyone among you is sick, don't surround yourselves with those who are going to judge you. Surround yourselves with the elders of the church who will make a symphony to the throne of God with you and for you. You understand how that powerful that works? A symphony that says, he will die and he will live and not die, and he will declare the works of the Lord. A symphony that says, by his strife, we were healed. And by a symphony, agreement, a harmony that says, we're going to receive the promises of God. We're going to receive salvation in this situation. See, in your dark hour, you're not going to care about theology so much. What you're going to care about in your dark hour is someone who knows Jesus. In your dark hour... You want to surround yourself with those who will fight the fight of faith, and you want to surround yourself with those who know Jesus. For the prayer of agreement to work, we have to agree. We have to be in harmony. We have to be in symphony on what we are praying and believing to receive. If I'm praying for you, but you are not in sympathy with that, there's going to be some, there's going to be some challenge. You, you ever hear an orchestra or a band playing in one instrument and just out of sync? With the other ones. It, it, it destroys the whole song. It destroys the whole thing. And it becomes an ear sore uh, to, to music. We have to harmonize. Okay, we need to be in the learning how to make a symphony of worship and thanksgiving in our prayers and agreement. This is just an example, but in Deuteronomy, it talks about where one will chase a thousand and two will put up two thousand to flight. There's that harmony, that symphony. And how it is powerful. See, every one of us finds ourselves in need of a touch from God. But thank God he's given us the church. Thank God he's given 
thus a family of believers that we can come in harmony with, that we can have a sympathy. Will you agree with me to receive what God says is mine through the cross of Christ? That's what we're talking about when we talk about an agreement. Then we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? And we spent some time on this. Paul prefaces to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but there are many people, many churches, and some entire uh, denominations that are totally ignorant because regarding the Holy Spirit. Entire groups and denominations are ignorant of the existence of the nine gifts of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Paul concludes chapter 12 by saying, but covet earnestly for the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. We, he says we need to covet. We need to covet the best gifts. Not many people have covet the presence of God. Not many people covet the manifestations of the Spirit. You were designed to covet. And that sounds wrong to some people because that you were designed, your design, your design will covet something. And we, a lot of us haven't heard that, haven't been taught that. Because all we've been taught is the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife or other things. And yes, there's a wrong way to covet. But there's also a right way to covet. Okay? Uh, coveting is the right thing that's powerful in our lives. We need to covet the things of God. We're not, we're not coveting somebody else. We're coveting what God told us to covet. Okay? But what is the more excellent way? The more excellent way is the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, being operation in love, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay? It's not what, uh, he's not, he, Paul didn't spend a whole chapter talking about the gifts and then spend a whole chapter in love and saying we can forego the, the gifts. Why didn't, he, why didn't he just omit chapter 12 and just talk about chapter 13? He, spent, he talked about the gifts in chapter 12 and 14 and in the middle of the sandwich he talked about love. He's not saying we don't need the gifts. He's saying we need to operate in the gifts in love, not in the flesh. Okay? When he talks about the gifts in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says the manifestation of the Spirit is the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. It's not a manifestation of maturity. It's not a manifestation of super saints. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. Okay? These are called gifts. And you don't have to be mature to have a gift. The challenge is producing maturity in the, in the operation of the gifts. Okay? For example, the Church of Corinth, who this book was written to. The Church of Corinth, we talked about this last week, but I'm going to go through it real fast. All nine gifts were in operation in the Church of Corinth. But the Church of Corinth, they were carnal. They had divisions among them. They were, there was strife and envy among them. They were contentions among them. They were even boasting and bragging about incest in the church. This church, the Corinth, where all nine gifts were manifesting, they were very immature. They were probably the most immature church that Paul writes about in his letters, and yet they were operating the gifts. All nine of them. Okay? These are not manifestations of maturity, and they are not manifestations of you or me. They are manifestations of the Spirit of God. Okay? Because you died in Christ. It's not you who live, it's Christ who lives in you. The manifestation for the gift is given to each for the profit of all. It's not the manifestation of super saints. 
It's the manifestation of the Spirit or the profit of all. Any gift of the Spirit is not meant for my profit. It's meant for everybody's profit. It's not for my promotion. Okay? It's not so I can show off me or show off you or show off a pastor or whatever it might be. It's not to boast in us. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit will never magnify you or a man or a woman. He will always magnify Jesus. I can teach all this. I spent some time thinking about this last week, and I spent many times talking about it in the times past. But those who are flowing in the Holy Spirit do not need the outside to get that they have. They just need to flow in the gift. For example, if you have the gift of prophecy, you don't have to say, hey, I'm a prophet, just prophesy. You have the gift of the word of wisdom. You don't have to know, I got the word of wisdom, listen to me. No, just give the word of wisdom. Just give the word of knowledge. Just act in faith. Do miracles. Do, do healing. I know there are a different set of gifts, but if you have to get the teaching, you don't say, I'm a teacher, listen to me. No, teach. If you're a pastor, pastor. I've seen janitors who have the gift of pastoring that were not in the pulpit, that they had more of an anointing on their ministry than I saw the pastor in the pulpit who said he was a pastor. And I'm not downplaying that pastor. I'm just saying, if you have the gift, you don't have to advertise it. Just flow. Because it's a manifestation of the Spirit, not you. If you are advertising what you are, are, have, and you're not operating what you have, I question whether you even have that gift. You may have it, but you are not operating it right now. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that to put anyone down. I'm just saying we don't need to advertise. Just flow. Because the... I know this about the Holy Spirit. He will never be rude. He will never be out of order. He will never interrupt in different things of that nature. We may, we, 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 we may struggle. We may, we may flop around a little bit. And, you know, and I believe if we're in a safe church, we can have room for some of that where we can learn how to operate. But my point is, we're not boasting about this. This is not a badge. This is the Spirit of God flowing through us, His temple, His body that He brought with the price. Okay, enough about that. And then in verses 8 through 11, He talks about the gifts. He lays them all out. I'm not going to read them all again this morning. And they were distributed to each one individually as He wills. See, I love that because God designed us to be a body. God designed us to be a family. Okay? And as a church body in love, we serve God and we serve one another. Okay? I talked about the nine gifts last week. I'm just going to briefly list them real quick here. Three gifts that see something, three gifts that say something, and three gifts that do something. Okay? Three sets of nine. Three sets of three make nine. The three gifts of the Spirit are the three gifts that see something, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning the spirits, the three gifts that say something are the, three, are the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of prophecy, and the three gifts that do something are the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gift of healing. Okay? And these are all distributed in my mess. This is not, a, we're talking about healing, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this subject right now, but 
That's why we have a community called the church, called the family of God. That's why the family is so important. Because I, you have things, gifts, that I don't have, but I have need of. And I have gifts and things you don't have, but you need. Okay? We all need each other. That's why isolation is so extremely dangerous. Isolation is always the number one play ploy of any predator, like a lion in the African wilderness. Okay, they will always isolate the weak ones. Uh, it's always the number one ploy of the devil. And you know, you can be even in a large church and be isolated, where you're not engaging with people, where you're doing your own thing. It's just me, us four, no more. You can be isolated in the crowd. So isolation can also be a frame of mind. Okay, so anyway, uh, two things are very clear in Scripture. We need, as disciples of Christ, we need God and we need the body of Christ. We need one another. Okay? In John 3.34, it says this about Jesus. That God has sent, speaks the words of God, but God does not give the Spirit by measure. He's speaking about Jesus. There was, there was no limit to, in other words, Jesus had the full measure of the Holy Spirit on his life. When he operated on the earth as the Son of Man before the cross, Jesus had the full measure of God's Spirit and power in him. I talked about this last week. And when Jesus walked the shores of Galilee, the Spirit of God was on the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, okay, the body of himself, okay, without measure. But every born again believer has received the same fullness of God. I shared this last week. I'm doing this real quick. I'm almost done with my recap, okay? It says in John 1 16, of his fullness we have all received. And in Colossians 2 9 and 10 it says, Dwell in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead, and you are complete in him. And Ephesians chapter 3, 19 20 says, When we know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. And it goes on to say, according to the power that works in us, his fullness works in us. I know I'm going to this fast because I taught this last week. But when Jesus walked that short of Galilee, the Spirit of God was on Jesus, his body, in full measure. After Jesus died, rose again, he came seated at the right hand of God, and he poured out his spirit on the church at Pentecost, and since then, now the body of Christ is not one member, but many members. Okay? And when we come together as the church, we come and make up the body of Christ. And just as Jesus laid hands on the sick, and they recovered. We too, the body of Christ, when we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Because we are the body of Christ. You understand how that works? You see the connection? The Spirit of God is still on the body of Christ without measure. And that is us who have Jesus, who are born again. But the body of Christ is not one member, but many members. We talked about that last week, but now let's get some new territory. Let's talk about Faith in God's Word. Let me slow down a little bit as we get to this week's lesson. So, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's, that's where faith originates. Can we all agree on that? How many of you know that I've also prefaced this series by saying there's many different ways, there's not a wrong way to get healed, but every one of them needs to have a measure of faith in them. And right now we're talking specifically about faith and uh, Faith in God's Word. I've seen people get healed just hearing the message. 
fly because no one laid hands on them. They didn't make a prayer request. There was no oil. There was no elders to pray for them. There was no prayer agreement. There was no gifts of the spirit manifestation. They, they, believed, they heard the word of God. They believed it. And they were healed. I've seen people get healed in, while, while people were giving their tithes and their offerings. I've seen people get healed while we did communion. I've seen, I've seen a five-year-old lay hands on a blind man and they get hit, hit healed and get, receive their sight. It's about faith in God and his word. Okay? And so, where does faith come from? It comes from God's word. You can't, you can't separate the two. And you can't have faith any other way. You can't, have, you can't get faith from your pastor. You can't get faith from your elders. You can't get faith from the oil. You can't get faith from anyone else. You get faith from God's word. Even if you only have one little seed of God's word, that seed can change the world. That seed can change your life. Okay? And so, praise God for the body of Christ who can lay hands on the sick. But praise God, laying hands on the sick is not the only way to get healed. Praise God for the anointing oil if we get sick. But praise God, the anointing oil is not the only way to get healed. Praise God for agreement in prayer if we get sick. But praise God, agreement in prayer is not the only way to get healed. Because maybe there's no one around we can agree with us. Okay? Praise God for the elders of your church. <coughs> Excuse me. If we get sick. But praise God, the elders are not the only way to get healed. Maybe there's no elders around. Maybe there's no elders who will make time for me. Or whatever the case may be. Praise God for the gifts of the Spirit if we get sick. But Pastor, my church doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, praise God, the gifts of the Spirit is not the only way that you can get healed. We need to learn to believe God. Okay? There are other ways that we mentioned already, and there's nothing wrong with those because we see many scriptures about all those things. But we need to learn how to stand on the Word of God, even if we're the only ones that I believe. There were some towns where Jesus couldn't do any healings. But there were a few people that he could lay hands on and they got healed. Sometimes there's even a few people. Maybe there's only one in the whole town. There was, I mean, there was blind man. He let them out in town to get healed. And then he said, don't go tell anybody. Why do you tell them to go do, do that? Why do you tell them not to go tell them? Because I've seen people, and Catherine Coleman has said this too, and other people too. You know, you can get healed, and your loved ones, the people you go talk to, can talk you out of your healing, and your sickness comes back. That's happened so many times. Uh, Catherine Coleman said at one point, 80% of people who received healing in her ministry lost it at some point or another. People can talk you out of faith, can talk you out of the grace of God, can talk you out of being healed. And so there's some people you just don't need to share it with because they're not going to receive it. Okay? So through simple faith, we can be healed. We need to learn how to understand God works through simple faith. In Acts chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, now we know this follows right after Pentecost, right after uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and Peter and John were going to the temple, as they normally did, it was their custom, they went through the beautiful gate, and they saw a man laying from his mother's womb, and everyone knew who this man was, he'd been there for a long time, okay, and he was asking for alms, he wasn't asking for healing, he wasn't going to the elders of the church. He didn't. He was asking for alms. Okay, here in California, we see them on the side of the freeway. Okay, they're asking for alms. Okay, they might not be lame, but anyway. Anyway, and Peter said, "Silver, gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk." 
So Peter, he's always a spokesperson, but he, Peter, took him by the hand, and his legs were instantly healed. I'm not reading the whole context, right? What time is it? And the multitude began to look at Peter and John. And that's where we pick up the story. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do you marvel at this? Our wives look so intently at us as though by our own power, our godliness, we have made this man walk. You know, many have taught that how healing died with the last apostles. Well, the apostle Peter said, it was not our power, our holiness that made this man whole. Peter said, he goes on to say, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the, and the, and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And by his name, and through faith in his name, has made this man strong or healed, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, Jesus, has given him, this man, this perfect soundness or wholeness in the presence of you all. Many teach that healing died with apostles. The apostle Peter taught it was faith in the name of Jesus that made this man whole. In this church, we believe the word of God. In this church, we believe in the compassion and mercy of God. In this church, we believe in Jesus, the Holy Child of Jesus. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And we believe in Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. That's not a Zasa list of what we believe. But uh, I just want to list that. Faith. Why do I do now? I'm going to go over a few different scriptures talking about Faith in the name of Jesus to receive healing. Most of these scriptures we've already covered many times in this teaching, so I'm not going to reread re -read the whole context, but I want to draw out what we're, what the point that we're trying to make this morning. The first one is the woman with the issue of blood from Matthew 9, 22. And Jesus turned around and said, said to her, Your faith has made you well. Okay, I'm fast forwarding to some of these again. If her faith... Under the Old Covenant. Why do I mean Old Covenant? Because it was before the cross. Most of Jesus' healings were before the cross. Okay? I'm just being technical there, but it's true. They were before the, 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 the cross made the New Covenant. Okay? Without the shedding of blood, there is no covenant. Okay? And her faith under the Old Covenant could heal her. How much more can our faith under the New Covenant heal us? Okay? And Jesus said, to her, your faith has made you whole. But she's not the only one he said that to. Two blind men, in Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said to them, according to your faith, let it be to you. Same, same, same verbiage. To um, the blind man, Bartimaeus, I can't pronounce his name, Mark 10, 52 says, and he said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Same language in all three of these so far. But we also have the Syrophoenician's daughter, or the Syrophoenician woman praying for her daughter. We're going to look at Matthew's version of it, Matthew 15, 28. And it says, Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. 
And then we also have the centurion, which we've looked at many times before. And if you have Matthew 8, 13, and go your way, as you have believed, that's your faith, let it be done for you. The saying, the, out of mouth of two or three witnesses, that they were to be established. And we see the same protocol every single time Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Yes, in many of these passages, sometimes we have Jesus touching them, sometimes we have there's agreement in prayer, there's all these different things, but Jesus specifically said that all five of these instances so far, it's your faith that has made you well. Okay? And so, uh, let's look at one more. Mary, the virgin birth in Luke chapter 138. We don't think of this so much when we think of healing, but it's not so much the context of healing, but let me just say some things about Mary real quick. I just feel like I needed to say um, there's no greater miracle than the virgin birth. Okay? There's only been one virgin birth, and there will never be another. Okay? If anyone else is trying to do that, that's not going to happen. Okay? Catholics, I'm not trying to put down Catholics here, but Catholics, and I won't believe this, that are Catholics, but Catholics do position people to worship Mary. I, which I totally disagree with. I believe that's the spirit of Antichrist. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily putting down Catholics, but they do position that, that theory and that belief system the way they, they teach. Okay? But as Protestants who are not Catholics, we don't need to have any fear in acknowledging Mary's faith. Okay? Just because some people have gone to another stream doesn't mean we have to back down from acknowledging Mary's faith. We can talk about Mary. The Bible talks about Mary. That's why I mentioned it, just so, so people are not feeling apprehensive about this. Mary had a great tenacity to believe God. Okay? And just as we can marvel at the centurion's faith, we can marvel at Mary's faith. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but Mary, when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel came to him during the Christmas story, said, you're going to be having a child. And there was a little discussion. I'm not going to reteach all that right now. Her, her response, once she understood the semantics of what's going to go on, Behold, Mason of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That phrase right there is great faith. That's faith. Let it be unto me according to your word. And Mary conceived the holy child Jesus in her womb by faith in God's word. You can receive your answer to your prayer by faith in God's word. Okay? Again, she said, let it be to me according to your word. We need to conceive our healing or the answer to our prayer by saying the same thing Mary said. Be unto me according to your word. That's what it looks like. That's how it sounds like. <coughs> this, and many of the scriptures I've shared, is what I mean by the faith in his word. It's a method of how we can receive our healing. Okay? Let's look at the, at the last one. Signs and wonders. Okay? In John 2, 32, uh, let's read the context. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, talk about Jesus, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs which he did. How many of you know signs and wonders will draw people to Jesus? Or will get people's attention? Okay? Let's look at another one, John 2, 6, 2. And then the great multitude followed him because they saw his signs that which he performed on those 
the word disease. He was performing signs on the sick. Healing the sick. It's a sign and a wonder that caused people to follow Jesus. I've seen people come to Christ when they saw someone get healed. I've seen someone come to Christ when they saw a water baptism being being uh, ministered to. Like I said before, I won't water baptize anyone who's not saved, but they can get saved right then and there. And I've seen people get saved right then and there. Family members being at a water baptism. I, I, I lead them to Christ, and they said, well, why not get baptized? I go, well, I agree. Why wait? Because they didn't in the Bible. They, they, they did it right then and there on the spot. And we some of us have waited way too long. We made it too we made it too much of a ceremony. They didn't make it so much of a ceremony. It was huge. It was huge. But uh, we we sometimes wait too long. Okay. Um, John six fourteen. Then those those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay? My point I'm trying to make one of the points I'm trying to make here is that miracles draw people to the supernatural. It's a little side point I'm making within this point of signs and wonders are. Can I talk about different? Let me just pause and, and explain something here. I talk about different methods of how you get saved. Laid on the hands, oil, the elders of the church, agreement, whatnot, and so forth. But sometimes you can get just healed just because it was a sign and wonder. No one touched you, no, you had nothing to do with it. It was just a sign and a wonder. You know, some of these things, I, I believe. Jesus just came to them. He saw faith. They were, they were going on. They received it and were healed. There's some towns that he went to. He wanted to heal them. There was, I mean, he was in a house full of Pharisees. He said he could heal them all. But they weren't believing, so they didn't receive. But sometimes it's just a sign and a wonder. Okay? But miracles will draw people to Jesus. Okay? And... This generation, the generation that you and I are living in, 2022, here in the, the roaring 20s of the, of the uh, 21st century, this generation is drawn to the supernatural. Just look at the movies out there. Just look at the media. Just look how people are drawn to the occult, how people are drawn to mysticism of all different kinds. They're drawn to supernatural. They're drawn to satanic stuff. They're drawn to uh, uh, all kinds of, of, of supernatural things, superheroes and whatnot. They're drawn to this, okay? But in the church, the lack of miracles in the church creates a big void towards the correct, the correct supernatural. How many of you know there's an evil supernatural and there's a, there's a, there's a godly supernatural? When Moses did miracles to his staff that God told him to do, the magicians could, could match some of the same miracles. The same happened in, in Daniel's day. Some of the magicians could also do things that Daniel could do. It happened also with Joseph's day. Uh, uh, the, the magicians and whatnot could do things that Joseph uh, couldn't do, and so uh, it's not un unusual. I've seen, I've seen, I've heard of other religions being able to do miracles and see healings of different sorts, and so um, we have to be careful of what we're, what we're following because how many know that the, the devil can also do to a certain level can do miracles. Signs and wonders, so to speak. So we have to be careful with this. Okay? But, it does, to the world, 
Something supernatural does get their attention. It is attractive. And I have actually, it's been easier sometimes to win someone who is in an evil set of point, that they're into the supernatural, it's easier for me to teach them the supernatural in a godly and a Holy Spirit standpoint because they are already accustomed to the supernatural. I just need to line them, direct them to the, get them out of the dark side into the light. Whereas some of us who have been sheltered, we just don't want to talk about the supernatural. Well, God is supernatural. The whole spirit realm is supernatural. The supernatural created the natural. And we will be eternal beings, whether in hell forever or heaven forever. Our spirit is supernatural. Our soul is not, and our body is not, but our spirit is, is spirit. When the spirit is spirit, when it's flesh is flesh. Okay? But when the church is lacking in miracles, there's a big void to the world. And if we allow the Spirit of God to operate miracles through us, His body, His church, the world will be drawn to Christ. But many groups, many denominations have said God is dead because healing died with the apostles. What do I mean God is dead? Well, God's Jehovah Rapha. And if God, if healing died with the apostles, Jehovah Rapha died with the apostles. And that just doesn't make sense anyway when you look at it. Okay? But which leaves the only supernatural available to the world, the dark side. And an entire generation is right now being drawn to the supernatural in the dark world. And they are by the groves. They are being drawn to the supernatural on the dark side. God wants the gospel preached both in word and in deed. Where the supernatural draws people to God, not to the supernatural. We're not drawing people to the supernatural. We're drawing, we're using the supernatural to draw them to God. Am I making sense? Paul himself said, and in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I'm saying all that, and I want you to hear all that, but I also want to balance this. Signs and wonders will not produce maturity. Look at the church of Corinth. They had the supernatural coming out of their ears, but they were very immature. They were allowing incest in the church. They were laughing all, they had all kinds of division and envy and corruptness going on in the church. They were operating in all nine gifts. They had the supernatural. They did not have a problem with the supernatural, but they did have a problem with maturity. Okay, and so none of the, the thousands Jesus healed were with him on the cross. They all forsook him. Of all the people that all the multitudes Jesus ministered to, that John said there's not enough books to write, none of them were there on the cross. We give Peter that time and deny him three times, but all the disciples fled. They all did. His very he had there was none. None of the thousand people Jesus healed were with him at the cross. Signs and wonders are sadly lacking in the church at large, which I just mentioned. But you cannot build a 
mature church on signs and wonders alone. We need both. We need the signs and wonders, but we need to be taught and to be discipled so we can mature. I've been around Christians that are into the works and signs and wonders, and praise God for that, but they're also very immature. I've also seen the mature, they're, they're grounded in the Word of God, but there's no life, there's no supernatural. And in many ways, they're dead. They are, they're a bookworm when it comes to the Bible, but they, there's no demonstration of it, where the world is not attracted to that. They don't want this theology, they want reality. And we need both. We need, we serve a living God, but we also need to be grounded and matured in the Word of God. We need both. That makes sense? It's not, I'm not teaching one or the other. But we need both. The supernatural will draw people. But it is the word of God that will cause maturity to come into their lives. Therefore, we need both. We need the signs and wonders. We need his presence. But we also need the word of God. We need both. That makes sense? I, we need... I'm just talking about me, my wife, my Sherry, this church. We need to operate in the supernatural more. But I also, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, I'm talking, we, our church is called Lighthouse Discipleship Center for a reason. We're big on discipleship. But I don't want you just to become a bunch of head knowledge, but we need that. Uh, but at any point in time, we need to demonstrate what we are learning. We are need to demonstrate what we are receiving. Jesus said it this way when he sent out the 70 and 12, freely you receive, freely give. And we need to do that, okay? In Acts chapter 4, disciples were beaten and jailed for preaching the gospel, okay? And then now the Lord, and this was their prayer. Lord, look on the threats and grant your servants that they, that with all boldness they may speak your word. So we're going to preach your word with boldness. Despite the threats, despite what was going on, they were being beaten and persecuted for preaching the word of God by religious people, not the world, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They were, what did they pray? They prayed that the word of God would be preached with boldness, but they also prayed for signs and wonders to be done. Oh, I think one of the reasons why they prayed that, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus taught the word, and he healed the multitudes over and over. Everywhere he went, Jesus taught them, and he healed them. He taught them, and he healed them. He taught them, and he healed them. Everywhere he went, every synagogue he went, every community he went, he did those two things. He didn't just heal, he taught. He didn't just teach, he also healed. He did both. And that's what they're praying for. Because it was modeled for them for three and a half years while they, while they fellowship with him. They were praying for boldness, and they were praying for signs and wonders despite the threats. They didn't pray, Lord, teach us how to revolt against the government. Teach us how to overthrow the religious leaders. They didn't pray that. They prayed for boldness to preach and to demonstrate. Okay? Acts 4, 31 says, And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were and spoke the word of God with boldness. Okay, they did signs and wonders, but they also preached the word of God with boldness. Many times the, the signs and wonders set a stage. Many times the, the signs and wonders drew a crowd. 
so that they could preach the word of God. Okay. Sign and wonders. Uh, right now, what I want to do, I conclude this part of the set teaching. You know, what's a wonder? And the best way I can do is describe three things here that I see in Scripture in the New Testament. The pool that sat up was one of them in John chapter 5, where an angel would come and stir the waters every once in a while, I think it was once a year, and someone would get healed. I can't explain that. It's a wonder. Did it happen? Yes. Um, I, in many ways, I don't get that. I don't understand that. I can't teach it. But it happened. And that is a wonder. Okay. Now, that was before the cross, and so I'm still balancing that out. But it was a wonder. Okay. Uh, at the cross of Christ, when Jesus died, the tombs were empty, and many came out of tombs. That is a wonder. Okay. I can, I can connect some dots with that a little, little easier, because I understand the cross. But it's still a wonder. Okay. Uh, we also have Peter's shadow and many other things in the book of Acts. That, that were just, okay, that, that's a new one. But it happened. It worked. But especially this one, Peter's shadow, there's faith in Jesus' name. It wasn't faith in Peter. It wasn't faith in Peter's shadow. At that same point in time, it didn't work. So there are other wonders, and it's not limited to just these. You might have a testimony of something that was totally different. My, the key ingredients that I feel like you need to have, no matter what the wonder may be, are they putting trust in you, the wonder, or are they putting trust in Jesus? There's not a wrong way to get healed. If you get healed by someone's shadow, praise God! You got healed! But before the fact, and more importantly after the fact, are you now going to worship shadows? Are you going to worship Jesus? Are you going to worship the person who had the shadow by who you got healed? Or are you going to worship Jesus? Because that shadow can become your idol. you got to be careful. Understand where I'm going with this? Nothing, there's not a wrong way to get healed, but make sure you're not worshiping the methods. There's not wrong, nothing wrong with oil. There's nothing wrong with uh, the elders of the church. But make sure you're not worshiping the elders. Make sure you're not worshiping the oil. Am I making sense? Because you get healed, and now you're teaching a doctrine that you, unless you get annoyed with oil, you're not going to get healed. That's a bunch of garbage. You have just now made something God anointed something that's evil. And that's wrong. Okay, and so we got to make sure that uh, we're careful with that. But have these things happened? Have they worked? Have they glorified God? Yes. That's, that's key. Are they glorifying God? Are they glorifying you? Are glorifying a person? Okay? There's no wrong way to get healed. But all methods to receiving healing have a measure of faith involved. And faith has to be involved to receive a measure of God's grace. Okay? Jesus said this. If you can believe, all things are possible to those who believe. Okay, I have about 14 minutes left, um, so I'm going to start opening up a discussion about what I'm going to be going to the next uh, couple of weeks. I'm going to be talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and that as it relates to our subject of healing. Okay, um, let me just introduce this, and then we'll get into the teaching more detail next week. But it's profound, the misunderstanding many, many circles have had on this issue. It's been profound in many misapplications and confusion many people have had, both on the teaching end and also on the receiving end of this issue. But let me say this, and I say this all the time in many different contexts. When you take a text out of a context, you are left with a con. 
and if we, that goes with anything we're studying. I want to say this again. When you take a text out of a context, you are left with a con. You are left with a con. What's all that? Okay. I don't want to teach con. I don't want to believe con. I don't want you to teach con. I have no greater truth. I want to see you walking in the truth. I want to see me walking in the truth. And the people that we're teaching and ministering to walking in the truth, not cons. But sometimes we get a con because we've taken one scripture or one phrase out of a scripture and we've made a whole doctrine out of it and we omitted the whole context. And now we're left with a con. And that's what many people have done with the, with the, the storm in the flesh. And so several weeks ago I talked about many hindrances to hearing. Two of those that I mentioned were one is unbelief and the other one traditions of men. And as we get to talking about the thorn of the flesh, and we're going to be looking at some other uh, things, we're going to be looking at Timothy's stomach issue, we're going to be looking at Epaphroditus, he has some illnesses, we're going to be looking at Elisha, who also has some illnesses, um, and so uh, we'll be looking at those as well, but more importantly we'll be looking at Paul's thorn of the flesh, because that has been where many groups have had some very weird doctrines on this, okay? Remember I just said a minute ago, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so we need to believe what God says versus what man says. We have to be very careful about that. Okay? In Mark chapter 4, he said, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said this, take heed what you hear. You need to pay we need to take heed what we are hearing. And Luke said, in Luke's version of this, he said, we need to take care how we hear it. Okay? Many people, and that may, you might not be, I'm not wiping everybody with this brush, but many do not take heed to what the Word of God says. Instead, they'll take heed to what a man has said. Okay? There's many controversial issues, like we're going to be talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, Timothy's stomach issues, Epaphroditus and illness, as well as Elisha's illness. We're going to be looking at those as two in this segment of our teaching. But we need to settle on our hearts believing and trusting God. Versus the traditions of men. Okay. So with that, let's go to Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at this a little bit with the time that we have left. And then we'll recap some of this as we get into next week's lesson. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of, of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We're going to keep reading, but let me pause here for a moment. Jesus said, in vain they worship me. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting the Old Testament. And teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Our worship is in vain when we teach as doctrine the traditions of men. We need to be careful that we don't take man's traditions and we make those doctrines. Jesus said that is vain worship. Okay? And that's what Jesus said. He goes on to say, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold traditions of men. We're going to spend some time with this. The washing of pictures and cups and many such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. Many religious people reject the word of God in order to hold fast to their traditions or the traditions of man, their denomination, or their group, or their family. This will make the word of God of no effect in your life. 
and leave in that area. Maybe not in all. Excuse <coughs> me. Maybe not in all areas, but in that area, it can make the word of God of no effect. Okay. Let's read on. We're going to come back to some things. But Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is Corbin, that is, a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Okay? Making the word of God of no effect to your traditions, which you have handed down as many such things you do. In the whole context, Jesus was not just teaching one thing that hindered the word of God. He was teaching many things, okay, about him. And we're going to look at a few of these, few of these things. Oftentimes I've asked God, and, in my, and through the years, many times I've had this own conversation with God, why do we see such a miracle over here, but such a struggle over here? I don't know if any of you wrestle with this at times, where you're praying for something or a healing or whatever, well, how come we're seeing breakthrough or an answer here, but over here we're not? What's the disconnect? What's the problem? Why is it not consistent? What's the issue? And I will say, we don't have all the answers, but we do have some of the answers. And one of those answers is, when we exalt the traditions of man over the Word of God, it will make the Word of God have no effect in our lives. It's not the only answer. It's not the only reason. That's why I spent a couple weeks, a few weeks back, talking about different hindrances to prayer. But one of the hindrances can be wrong theology through the traditions of man that we are exalting over the Word of God. See, you can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can give your tithes, you can serve in the ministry, you can operate gifts. <coughs> I didn't even mention prayer here. You can spend time in prayer. You can pray in tongues. Well, that's a part, part of prayer. Okay, it's not the only time I have prayer. But unless you exalt the Word of God in your life, the traditions of man will make the Word of God have no effect. Back in Mark 7 7, Jesus said, and I already highlighted something like this In vain they worship a teaching as doctrines. They're teaching as if God said the commandments of man. In other words, they were taking what man said and said God said it. Okay? Are you following me so far? They can quote so-and-so as if so-and-so wrote the Bible. Well, Mama said this. I'm not disrespecting your Mama, but your Mama didn't write the Word of God. Well, Uncle Joe said this. I'm not disrespecting Uncle Joe, but Uncle Joe didn't write the Bible. But Pastor so-and-so said this, and he has a great ministry. And I'm not downplaying Pastor so-and-so and his ministry. But Pastor so-and-so, oh, girl, he might have a great ministry, then not write the Word of God. And I'm not going to exalt your mama over the Word of God. I'm not going to exalt Uncle Joe over the Word of God. I'm not going to exalt Pastor so-and-so over the Word of God. Okay? We need to honor our parents, but not above God. We need to honor our elders, but not above God. We need to honor pastors and elders and, and bishops and all kinds of people, but not above God. If you want to see the power of God in your life, you must honor the Word of God above your parents, mother or father, above your pastor or teacher, above your group or denomination. 
And we're making sense. I'm not putting down any. We need to honor where honor's due. But God's at the top of the bottom pole. Don't pole. Am I making sense? If how I honor them, I love them, I appreciate them, I might even admire them in many ways. But if they say something, or teach something, or believe something that's contrary to the word of God, with all due love and respect, I'm going with God. Am I making sense? Okay? I'm not attacking them, but they're attacking my God. They might not be doing maliciously. They might not be doing it to make a revolt. They might not be doing it and not realizing they're doing it. But they are. Okay? And I have seen people fight for what their group said, for what their mama said, for what their denomination said, what their pastor said, and they won't fight what the Word of God says. Versus what the Word of God says, okay? They teach and they talk as if their group or their mama is God. And that's wrong. Okay? And that will make the Word of God of no effect. Okay? We all need to judge not them, but our own hearts. What do we believe? Okay. I'm not judging them, but we need to we need to judge our own hearts. Who are we going to believe? And what are we going to take heed to? And Jesus said, "Take heed, take heed what you what you hear." And I love my I'm I, I'm not using my own mama because that's not where I'm at here, uh, you know. But and I'm not, but I'm I'm not attacking your mama. I'm just like but what I am doing is I'm exalting the word of God. Okay? And when we're, we are all believing what God said, and God said it, not what man said God said, faith will work. Faith comes not from mama. Faith doesn't come from pastor so-and-so. Faith comes from the word of God. Okay? Because I'm saying, if we're laying inside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of man. You say you put the word of God aside, and you elevate the, the traditions of men. He goes on to say, "All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition." I mean, this is blatant, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition. Now, let me say this: traditions in themselves are not bad. Okay? We have traditions in our family for Christmas and holidays and different things that we do for birthdays and whatnot. Okay, even just some special things that we do. We have traditions, we have traditions of church that can be very good if they facilitate God's will in your life and God's purpose in your life. Okay? We may do some things to facilitate in this church fellowship or maybe your church. For example, I've seen churches where the first Sunday of the month they have communion. That's their tradition. Nothing wrong with that. Some churches do it every Sunday. Some families or individuals do it once a week or every day. Some people do it three times a day. It looks like they do have a meal three times a day. As long as they're facilitating, going back to the Word of God and the purpose of God, that's good. Okay? I've seen people who uh, have water baptisms on the second Sunday of the month or whatever, or maybe once a quarter. Versus some churches that don't do it at all. 
It never facilitated. There's some churches, they've been around for decades, and they never had a lot of baptism. Something's wrong with that. They're not facilitating the Word of God at all. And they're getting mad at the one who has it once a quarter. <laughs> well, why are you getting mad at the one who's doing it at least part-time versus the one who's doing it not at all? Or, and there's some other scenarios here. For example, traditions. We have fellowships or small groups. I've seen some churches where they may have maybe the second Sunday is Pollock Sunday. They had a fellowship, but as the church grew, the pastor felt ready to go, we're not going to do Pollock Sunday anymore. We're not going to have small groups every night or every week. And, and I'm, not, I'm not the pastor of that church. But some people will just have a meltdown because we're doing something different. Where the potluck wasn't wrong, but somehow or other, because he got so bent out of shape, the potluck could become your idol. And so, there's other, other examples. For example, pews versus chairs. Some people love pews. I don't like them particularly. Uh, but some people just, because that's, well, our parents had it, our grandparents had it, our great-grandparents had it. They've had it all, all, since Moses. And so, and so what, you know, and when they, the pastors decide, and the leadership decides that we're going to take out the pews and put in chairs, they have a meltdown. The pews were there to facilitate assembly, a church service, that were not to be worshipped. Okay? The same thing, <coughs> another example could be, we're meeting in a home versus a church building. Okay? And as long as, there's nothing wrong with any of these things in the of themselves. There's nothing wrong with the fellowship, nothing wrong with small gifts, there's nothing wrong with pews or chairs or homes or churches. As long as they facilitate the will of God. Okay? But many people have a meltdown when traditions change because they have resulted their traditions over the word of God. Am I making, making sense here? But any tradition that facilitates the word of God is good until we exalt that tradition over the word of God. And some of us, not all of us, some of us our traditions have become idols. And some of us are worshiping our traditions over the Word of God. Okay? So our allegiance is to the Word of God, not our traditions. You know, Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, he just made, was making a point, but he said, if anyone, if we have a, if we had a big piano, we started using it, and people start making a tradition out of that. He says, I'll throw that piano off the stage. We'll never use a piano ever again. And we're just making a point because in the Old Testament, they would make memorials to remember the goodness of God. And that was, that's a good thing. But some of those memorials, they began to worship the memorial. And so God would have them tear down the memorial down because their allegiance became to the memorial instead of what the memorial represented. There's nothing wrong with the piano. But if we start worshiping the piano, instead of the piano being a, an instrument that we can use to facilitate worship to God, then now the memorial or the instrument has become the problem. In a sense. Am I making sense? And we all need to judge our own hearts that we are not letting certain traditions that we might have in our culture, or our church, or our group, or our gathering become 
We don't need to think about how dumb people were 2,000 years ago in the church and, 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 and before that. We need to talk about how dumb we can become if we start exalting the word of other than the God's word, uh, we kind of, if we don't exalt God's word over traditions. Okay? Traditions are a good thing if they facilitate the word of God. But traditions can be are good until they trump over the word of God. Once a tradition trumps the word of God, it has now become an evil thing. It has now become a bad thing. Okay? It's not a bad thing in and of itself, but because but it has facilitated now I worship to it instead of God. Traditions are good services to the scriptures. Traditions are good services in and of themselves, but they are not good masters. Okay? Traditions can become a methodology that no longer serves its original purpose. That was not its intent. That's not what that's not how it started out to be, but that's how it's become in some instances. But instead of our own our instead but instead owns our allegiance. Some traditions didn't start out that way. They were just good things that facilitated God's word and facilitated how we worship, how we assemble, how we fellowship, how we do what God told us to do. But some of us have become so married to our traditions that when they when they get raveled, we have now made the traditions more important to the word of God. And by doing that, we make the word of God of no effect in those areas. Our heart is in the tradition instead of what, what the tradition is facilitating, and that's what becomes backwards. And so Paul, Jesus is saying, he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of your hypocrites? As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You, in other words, you will actually exalt the tradition over the word of God. You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are not towards me. Your heart is towards the tradition now. You will actually worship the traditions of men above my word. That's what he's saying there. That's what he's quoting Isaiah. If you do that, you will make the word of God of no effect in your lives. And that's what some people have done with some of these controversial issues, especially the Paul's one in the flesh. They have made some traditions. Maybe their pastor or teacher or someone or their mama or Uncle Joe or someone or has taught something about the, the Paul sworn in the flesh, but it's not according to the scriptures. And so we believe it, our denomination believes it, our group believes it, maybe we believe it all our life, but we haven't done it. And instead, all these traditions um, that surround the issue of, uh, I think I got, uh, uh, I need to slow down here. Some of us, because of what we've been taught, and maybe we didn't know a tradition, but we just heard what Pastor So-and-so said, or Evangelist So-and-so has said, and we believed it all these years. We didn't know a tradition. We didn't mean anything bad by it. Instead of actually reading the Word of God and finding out what the Word of God said about Paul's sworn in the flesh, what the Word of God said about Elisha's illness, and what the Word of God said about uh, Timothy's sickness and hepatitis uh, illness. Okay, there's all these traditions that have surrounded Paul's sword in the flesh, especially that it has been profound to the habitual misunderstandings that many people have had regarding this sword in the flesh. 
I'm out of time today, but what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, couple weeks, is we're going to do something very, very novel and something very easy. We're going to look at the Word of God and see what it says about Paul's thorn in the flesh and these controversial issues. And we are going to set the Word of God above anyone else's that kind of say. We are going to exalt the Word of God versus what anyone else has ever said. I'm not going to say much more about what other people have said. I'm just going to teach the Word of God regarding these issues. If you listen to everyone else except the Word of God on these issues, the devil will use that to put unbelief in your heart and cause you to waver. If you believe, for example, Paul was sick or had a disease or had an Asian eye disease or God humbled for his pride and God was unwilling to heal him because of any of this, uh, and the list can go on, then the devil will cause your heart to believe, well, if Paul didn't get healed, then I'm not going to get healed. My purpose in this is not just to nuke all the traditions that people have taught. My purpose is to learn from this thorn in the flesh according to the Word of God. I want to hear what the Word of God says about this thorn in the flesh. And I want to learn what Paul was teaching about the thorn in the flesh so I can put, apply it to my life. I can't apply man's traditions, but I can apply the Word of God to my life. Okay, and so we are going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, uh, 10 through 13, especially chapter 12 where this is listed. We're going to go there next week and we're going to look at this and more content. But we're going to also look at the context. Because when you take a text out of the context, you're left with the con. And most people are taking one verse or a phrase out of one verse and they have not considered the whole context. And they have made a big con. But they have. It's like, you know, if I say something, but you say one phrase on what I said and you miss the whole context of what I said, you've actually misconstrued everything I just said. And that's wrong. You know, and so uh, you, you, can't, you can't make a doctrine out of one phrase when you didn't consider the whole phrase or the whole sentence. And so I'm, I'm not here to put people down. I'm here to exalt God's word. Because I can't put faith in what so-and-so said. I can't put faith in what your mama said. I can put faith in what the word of God said because that's where faith comes from. Anyway, uh, we're going to go there next week. We're out of time for the day. I didn't uh, plan on going there today. But that's where we're going to spend some time on the next week and probably two weeks. Uh, and not just Paul's thorn, but these four controversial issues and probably some more. Um, because these controversial issues surround the subject of healing. And because people have misconstrued them, people have been misconstrued in receiving their healing. Because they think, well, Paul didn't get healed. Then maybe I'm not going to be healed. When they have actually misunderstood what this thorn really was. Okay. And where it we're going to find out. I'll give you a snap preview. It didn't come, the storm didn't come from God. The scripture specifically says who gave the thorn. And it wasn't God. So, anyway, uh, we'll get to the next week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Uh, amen, amen.